and welcome back to the Down to the Wire podcast. We are back again, episode 17, um, updating you with the latest and greatest in sport from the previous week. Um, Jack Freeman, how are you doing? I'm good. It's St. David's Day. Wales beat England, a good St. David's Day gift, as per se. They did. Yep, we're going to be talking about that later. Very controversial. About as controversial as a rugby match can be, I think, apart from if somebody punches somebody else. Um, yeah, well, we, better team like, on, sure. but yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Any English listeners? What do you think of that? Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the rugby later. Going to have a bit of uh, football talk, a bit of F1 talk. Going to talk about some of the new liveries. Going to talk about the NFL, because um, there's been some movement there as well. Yeah, just going to be a good old uh, sporting chinwag, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, cool, right. Should we, uh, should we jump right in? Let's do that. Um, we'll start off with the football, I think. Um, as in football, football, as opposed to uh, American, not football, football. Um, do you want to kick us off with the first topic of discussion? Yeah, Barcelona's former president, current CEO, and head of legal have all been arrested. Um, oh, why? In relation to something called Barcegate. Which, I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of before, but no. I know there was something odd about that team um, mm. when he resigned. Um, yeah. yeah. But pa- apparently he was hiring a social media company to publicly discredit players, staff, and other presidential candidates. Which uh, is not pretty what, good. What's the benefit of... Well, when you say... I'm assuming since he was... No, whilst uh, he was in charge of Barca. Why? Well, I don't know. But I think the other presidential <laughs> candidates are just so he keeps his job. But mm. the players and staff, I don't know. To be fair, though, because, I mean, they're a unique club in that they're owned by the fans rather than, mm. you know, someone actually owning them physically, like yeah. one person. So maybe he was like, well, to get blame off of him and his board and they all want to keep their jobs, mm. they'll just start to discredit the players in a sense to go, oh, it's their fault we're bad. It's not us, it's their fault. Um, and mm. a bit of propaganda to keep themselves employed, don't it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a weird situation there because I remember on an episode before when we were talking about Barcelona, there was a thing where it was like technically someone could be put in jail for mishandling of assets in relation to Messi leaving or something weird mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's always a bit of a weird setup there. I don't know, it's always, it always seems to be like Messi as well. And <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I don't know if he's included as much this time, Um, because I think he's probably one of the few players they don't want to annoy, but who knows, they could have included him in this. Um, No, no, when I say Messi, I mean, like, it's it's, it's a, but it's a weird situation, as in, like, there always seems to be something going on with Barca in relation to the dark arts or something on in the background that... You know, yeah. it always seems to be. It's a amazing bit. that a club which has had probably the greatest manager of recent times and the greatest player of recent times at one point had both of them, did win everything there was to win, and then it seems like as soon as the manager left, it just went downhill. Gradually and slowly, and now it's accelerating how fast they're well, going down the hill. But uh, it's not I mean, going the thing well. is, I, I think they had they had that one season under Enrique, didn't they, where they did the treble? Um, yeah, yeah. They did um, Champions League, League, and Copa del Rey, probably. I'd imagine. Um, 
you know, and that was kind of a, a, a very impressive Barcelona team. But yeah, I mean, but that was the thing with with Pep, they won everything. They won all six. With with Enrique, they won all three. With the next couple of guys, they probably won maybe one, two, nothing. <laughs> and then now it's yeah, it really is at that nothing stage. Yeah, so. Well, I mean, the thing is, I think what you're seeing now is the impact of mishandling of money, players, and all sorts for an extended period of time, and this is kind of the result, I guess. You know, as in there was something not that long ago, wasn't there, where they said they're not going to play Coutinho between now and the end of the season, because if he gets a certain number of appearances, they have to pay Liverpool more money. Which, and said, it's, it's, the thing is, it just doesn't make sense to do that. It's No. I, I understand what they're doing oh, money-wise, but I think all players dislike signing for clubs, which are that Orientated on the bottom line. Well, it's line. because they're in debt, though. It's because they haven't got any money. That's the problem. Mm. Is and they they've spent their millions. This is the thing. Yeah, you know, I guess that's the worrying thing for Barca at the moment. Is that you know, like, look, teams go through periods of transition where they need to splash the cash and buy players in. But the thing that's worrying for Barcelona, they've spent their money. They, you know, is in. They buy Griezmann for seventy odd million or whatever it was from Atletico. They bought. Dembele for 120 million, I think it was. They bought um, Coutinho for 140 million. You know they love spending big on they a player. Love, they sort love splashing the paint cash. over the cracks. It's like there's nothing wrong. We can still sign the best players. Yeah, but I mean those signings had about <laughs> as much credibility as you know. City signing a big player like at the start, it was like everybody knows where you're signing. Obviously, Barcelona got way more. Mm. Heritage than City, but at the end of the day, you offer anybody that amount of money, they're gonna they're gonna play for you. Well, and, and they're leaving, isn't he? So you know, that's, yeah. Uh, mm. um, oh, and they signed um, Frankie De Jong. Although Frankie De Jong has actually been pretty good, I think. He's been yeah. pretty pretty good in a very poor team. Um, you know, like they bought Paulinho, didn't they? Like really weird, very really bizarre weird. business. But yeah, um, things were all a bit. Um, and the thing is, as well, is and it's not like you've got, for example, like Liverpool this moment have got problems on the pitch, right? Um, as in they're, they're struggling, but then they've got good owners behind. Uh, well, I say good owners; they are good owners. Some people would argue that they don't spend enough money. I think they're excellent owners relative to the uh, climate and finances that Liverpool have as a club. But as in generally, you've got stability in the boardroom, I guess. You know, yeah, like as much close. as I dislike the Glazers and do think that it's a bit dodgy what they do in terms of how much money <coughs> they take out. Excuse I mean, me. I think they're taking out close to a billion mm. now in, out of uh, Man United. But at the end of the day, I, we we had slipped up for a little bit when it was post Fergie, but mm. we are back on track. And I don't feel like it ever got shaky. They were willing to spend the money when they were sort of panicking a little bit and they were like, we mm. need to spend some money to get some good players in because what mm. we got isn't very good. And they were willing to go, yeah, let's buy. Let's buy some guys. But yeah. it's I mean, much I better guess... than just buying players for the sake of buying players and not really having a clue what doing. They were at least addressing issues at the time. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess the thing is as well is you can have toxic situations on the pitch. You can have toxic situations in the boardroom and behind the scenes. The worst combination is when you have both at once, and I feel like that's what Barca have got right now. You know, you've got mm-hmm. you've got a, a group of players who are not playing particularly well. You've got your, your star man, one of the best players in history, who's saying basic. Well, they've said that they want out. You've got you know a board that's just kind of all over the place. 
So it's uh, yeah, messy. <laughs> Again, no pun intended. Messy time to be a Barcelona fan right now, I guess. Is Messi well? Where do you think Messi's going to end up then? Do you reckon he'll stay on, or do you reckon he really no. is going to leave? No, I, I think this this might finally be the time that he actually leaves. To be on, and well, let me put it this way: I think if he doesn't leave this summer, he's never going to leave. I don't think. Um, and I think now there's there's an added thing of well, clearly, clearly Barcelona are going to have to go through a rebuilding phase now. As in, I think. This year, this season, perhaps at the start of the season, there was perhaps that little bit of hope. Well, you know, they've got, they have still got, on paper, they've still got good players. Um, but I think now they kind of look at it and go, well, we have got good players, but clearly this is going to take time. And unfortunately, at the age of Lionel Messi, is, he hasn't really got time to spend being part of a rebuilding project. And that's before you even get to the whole whether he's happy or there. Uh, sorry, happy yeah. or not, there. Practically, think... he physically can't. But that... to be fair, though, I feel like rebuilds in football are a lot quicker than in some other sports. Oh yeah, but, well, look. I mean, the thing is, I think if again, it's it's a, it's a bit of a lethal combination, isn't it? As in, like, very good players will quite often stick at clubs when they're going through a rebuilding phase. You know, it happens. Um, but will. At the age that you know Messi's at, with the scale, and that's the thing as well. As in, like some clubs go through like mini rebuilding phases, don't they? As in, like you know, you just look at City this season, and they had a bit of a rough season last season. They sign a couple of players, and they're back on top again. Um, mm. Whereas the state that Barcelona are in, it could take years for them to sort this out. And as one of the best players in history, is Lionel Messi willing to? stick around I guess and just be part of a rebuild knowing that he's probably going to win okay he might win the odds the odd Copa del Rey or maybe even the odd La Liga but isn't you can't see Barcelona competing on the European stage right now surely um, no and Messi's got to think about him yeah, further exactly. down the line yeah yeah like, 100%. As he, he is always going to be a Barcelona legend so sticking at mm. Barcelona doesn't really do anything for brand Messi and yeah, well, Ronaldo's yeah, you're shown right. that when he just keeps going to different countries and dominating. Yeah, and you're right. Like, you know, well, is in for him. Yeah. He's you know, is in like if you look at okay, maybe not so much in recent years, but as in throughout his Barcelona career, he's literally won everything there is to win. Is is you know he's probably looking at it and going well, given my age, given where the club is at, and I think regardless of how the club is performing, he clearly doesn't seem to be particularly happy. Um. So I think it's a bit of a vicious, it's a perfect storm on Barcelona's front, really. And I think as a result, Messi's going to go somewhere else. Where that'll be, I don't know, because I don't know who could justify his wages. I think you're probably looking at PSG or City, I would think, really, are the most likely, just purely uh, based on finances. I think... Um, see, the thing is, I think he's one of those... There's a very few of them, but I think he's one of those players who pays his himself... It, not pays himself literally, but when a club signs a player like that, the amount of money they will get from all sorts of sponsorship oh, yeah, and definitely, sales but... of kits that I, I think I think a, a lot of clubs could justify it. Um, I do get what you mean about City and PSG probably being able to offer him more money than anybody else, but mm. yeah, I, I, I the thing is. Th- those two teams particularly suit the style of football he plays at the very least. 
Um, well, and again, you've got to look at where the clubs that he's going to are at as well. As in, like, for example, if you look at, you know, um, well, I don't know, as in, like, if you look at a Juventus right now, Juventus are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at, well, not, they're not struggling, but as in, if you look at United right now, as in, a United, the sort of team where, as in, if you put Man City and Man United next to each other right now, and you said, right, who do you think is more likely to be competing and be ahead in the league next year you'd probably say City you'd probably do the same with Liverpool and City and you'd probably still say City based on how mm. they're playing right now um, with PSG okay the league is kind of not particularly important but you'd probably look at it and go well if you look at the talent there uh, you know they could be going for a Champions League they've got an Argentinian manager as well which would probably go well with Messi um, so yeah I guess he's yeah. got to kind of balance yeah. up where he's going with... Um... Well, it depends what he wants, isn't it? Exactly. Does he want yeah, the trophies? Does he want the money? Does he want the branding? Oh, I yeah, well, that's what I mean. Is in like, with, with the greatest respect, I think if it was purely a money game, I think you could straight away throw Man United in the hat because Man United clearly but, yeah, have a lot of money. I, that's, I that's don't not think to it's say... them. Yeah. No. I, I, well, and... it, just purely because City can do everything United can do, but they've got Guardiola. And that yeah. link instantly makes them well, more attractive. I think the thing is, is that Man United, in the last couple of seasons, have kind of gone away from that kind of uh, big marquee signing, haven't mm. they? They've kind of gone for like right, like you know, like players like Bruno Fernandez and Aaron Wan-Bissaka. You know, not necessarily like players who go, "Whoa, look at those!" Im- immediately, but, but just guys who really do a job. And yes, exactly. Do well, um, and that's all I want. So. But you know, and I think he's probably going to have to balance a couple of things up. But so I would say probably City, City or PSG. Um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Maybe even goes back to Argentina, but I doubt it. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, if he does, you called it first. Yeah, I did. He's going. To, he's going to Argentina. He's going to Argentina. Breaking. <laughs> Messi is going to Argentina. <laughs> um, there we are. Right, should we move to the uh, the Premier League? Yeah, can do. Um, um, should we talk about Liverpool? Um, yeah, I see a lot of stuff. <laughs> Mostly BBC and Sky. Sort of the way they phrase things. Like I saw them phrase Liverpool closing in on top four. Now, now I thought that that headline is beyond deceiving because to say they're closing in on top four almost insinuates they're getting there. They're almost there. It's like they, they lost four on the bounce. I don't think it's that way. I think it's they've stopped the downhill in a way, and you know they're back to but, you know where they were. But I think this is the thing. Is in you know we've said this so many times. The league table this season is horrifically toxic. Mm-hmm. As in, five points can mean like. 10 positions, that sort of thing. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know, literally, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And this, I guess this is what I've kind of been saying, is in in most other seasons, if you had said, based on what's happened in the past couple of weeks, will Liverpool get top four? I'd say absolutely not. But we're two points off top four, despite mm. this horrific run of form. And OK, we're probably going to have to rely on other teams dropping points. But again, based on how this season has gone, is, well, like, for example, that you know... Look at Leicester and Arsenal on the weekend. As in, going into that game, who would have predicted that? Not me. Um, well, as in, the thing is, I I, sorry, I thought of that when I the Arsenal Leicester game I was very surprised by it. 
But I did I did see the injuries that Leicester have, and I think they've gone a little bit under the radar. I mean, they haven't mm. really mentioned it much, which might be why they've gone no. under the radar. But uh, they've they've got injuries for Madison, Barnes, um, James Justin, the mm. sort of standout left back this season, Johnny Evans, mm. and um, Wesley Morgan. I know Wesley Morgan's not at his mm. top anymore. And uh, is it? No, it's not Sergio Perez, is it? It's something Perez. Iosi Perez. Perez. I know Sergio was the one for the Formula One, but I thought, is it the same name for the guy in Leicester as well? I can't remember. Um, so they've got a lot of injuries, mm. particularly for attacking. They haven't got very many in the midfield, like the core of the midfield, but lots no. for the sort of flair yeah. players or the really good defenders they've got. I mean, yeah, so. I mean, I guess that's fair enough. But as in, yeah. you know, well, bearing in mind as well, I'm pretty sure Harvey Barnes got injured during the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I get I get your point. But I guess what I'm saying is, is in the league is so bonkers. As in, it's it's not unreasonable to assume that teams are going to drop, possibly including Liverpool as well. The teams are going to drop points between now and the end of the season. Um, I mean, I guess, like you say, I think when they say Liverpool are back, I don't think that. As in, I don't think any Liverpool fan would say that Liverpool right now are back to their best. I, you know, I. I think any Liverpool fan who says that is, well, deluded, basically. You know, that's just not the case. Um, But, you know, sometimes when you're in these kind of tricky situations, all it takes is for one win to turn things around. Now, this isn't to say that Liverpool are going to go unbeaten for the rest of the season. I don't think they will. But it's just a little bit of confidence, you know. And again, Alisson didn't play, um, which, you know, is a huge loss. And... If we had had Kelleher in goals, I would have said, oh, well, that's fine. We had Adrian in goals, and with the greatest respect to Adrian, there's a bit of a correlation that generally when Adrian plays, Liverpool don't play particularly well. Um, we also had Kabak and Nat Phillips as our centre-half partnership. Um, our 18th of the season, I think I'm right in saying, which you know is partly due to injuries, partly due to you know, Klopp having to move players around to kind of have a bit more experience at centre-half. Um, so, yeah, I, I think when they say Liverpool are back, I think it's more just a case that Liverpool have kind of stopped the losing streak, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. I, like, I, like I said, I don't think any Liverpool fan, me included, would look at that before. You know, is it luck? Don't get me wrong, a win's a win. It's as simple as that. Um, and, you know, Sheffield are... Okay, Sheffield are in a very bad situation at the bottom of the table, but based on our previous results, our poor form hasn't been against the bigger teams. It's been against West Brom, Southampton. Um, what other ones did we lose um, recently? I can't remember. There was another oh, one that was Burnley. Great. You lost to Burnley. Yeah, there you go, Burnley. Yeah. So as in, it's not against it's not against your cities, your United's, Chelsea's. It's it's against those bottom teams. So based on our previous form. You know, isn't anything can happen in football? And I, 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 you know, I'm sure I could say this for United as well. But as in the games that are probably most dangerous are those teams who are in the bottom. They're scrapping to stay up. Um, Although and, I will say, you do well, mention that you don't lose. You haven't lost. You are. You haven't struggled as much against the big teams. You lost uh, Man City four one, Leicester three one, and Everton two 0 in your last. You know, the three games before Sheffield. So those are all bigger teams. Um, yes, but if you look at the amount of points we've accumulated, um, mm-hmm. as in I saw a table earlier today, and I think if you look at the points accumulated by a top six team against the top six, mm-hmm. City are top, followed by Liverpool. 
Oh, I know United are probably right at the bottom of that. Cause yeah, you don't United try to win are them. bottom because because <laughs> yeah, you you you've just been drawing them, you know. And yeah. you know, that, that's, that's I think the tactic there is as long as the other team doesn't win, they don't get many points. Yeah, I think yeah. It's, yeah well, it's, it's a bit of a negative one. It's, yeah. it's conservative, and like I think for like the perfect one for me was when United play Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. Okay, if if on paper you said United get a draw with Liverpool, I think it was at Anfield as well, wasn't it? Was it at Anfield? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, you know, as in on paper, you look at that and go, good result, really, don't you? Well, not good result, mm. but as in you think, well, draw's a draw, Liverpool are, you know, are Liverpool. Whereas at the moment, really, based on how they're playing, you'd probably back United to go and get three points. So, yeah. But I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is is Liverpool have stopped the, the rot. There's, sign, there's positive signs, but I, I, they're not back. When I say no. back, as in they're not, they're not back to their best yet. Um, but we'll have to wait and see on that, I guess. What, do you think they'll beat Chelsea this weekend? Thursday, um, I mean, you know, as in United versus Chelsea, it was hardly vintage. Um, so, tell you what, up until the penalty decision, it was a really good game. Both oh, yeah, teams I'm going sure right at it. I'm sure it but was a good game. after that, yeah, it was really boring. But, uh, yeah, as in... You know, as in, and who knows? Like I said, that Sheffield game, okay, it's against Sheffield, but like I said, a win's a win. So for a lot of those players, it might just be that little confidence boost that they needed, really. Um, and you know, hopefully Jota will be in contention to play. And if Jota could be back, I think that would be a huge confidence boost. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd be reluctant to say Liverpool are going to win. I mean, obviously, I don't think it's quite as clear cut as that. But as in, I think it could go either way, really. To be honest, I, I think okay. it really could. Um, you know, I I know that Chelsea have been playing well recently. Um, yeah, you know, been in seven or eight, I think now. Yeah, bit of a streak. But I, I think Liverpool would, as things are at the moment, I think Liverpool would suit being underdogs, which I mean, given current form, they probably are. I would say so. We shall wait and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, there we are. Shall we move on to the next topic of uh, discussion? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So, uh, like like we just said, United-Chelsea on the weekend. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't watch the full game. I did see highlights. So, like you said, it looked like it was a fairly decent game, but kind of maybe fizzled out a little bit, I, I guess. Neither team wanted to to lose. Um, do you think that's fair, or do you think that's a bit harsh? Uh, you know what? I don't think either team went into that game thinking we just don't want to lose. Mm. Um, just from the way they went into it, in a sense, mm. right at the beginning, both teams properly went for it. I mean, Chelsea had about two or three really good opportunities. One way Giroud was so unlucky not to score the header, um, but United at the same time. I mean, I. I hadn't really acknowledged it before, but some of that negativity to United's play when they slowly go back and back and back, I didn't realise it, but they mentioned on the commentary that it's sometimes it's a tactic that Ollie is starting to instil, where after it, you'll find that they'll have, say, three or four minutes where they absolutely berate the other team, almost when... It's like almost a confidence builder, putting them right on the pin and then going at them, and it's almost like, try and knock them off, try and score whilst they, they're not quite in the... In the groove, you know what I mean. Like when you're in the flow, when you when your back's against the wall and you're constantly making a defence, you almost get into a rhythm. But when you haven't done it for a couple of minutes because you're all over the other team, and then all of a sudden it's back on, you're like, oh, okay, we've got to get reorganised, and they're not quite there. And 
to be fair, United were trying that and they nearly scored quite a few times. Um, I think it was around the 50th to the 60th minute in that sort of period. Mm. They just properly went at Chelsea and all, almost got quite a few and it was quite unlucky they didn't score. But yeah, it was a mm. decent game. Yeah, you know, as in, I've seen some headlines that have said that, um, you know, because Bruno Fernandes now, I, I, th- I don't think he's scored or assisted against top six this season. I might he got he got a goal in the first few seconds of the game against Spurs, but he hasn't done okay. anything since. But I think we, okay. I think every game, well, almost all the games have been like a nil nil or something like well, that. Well, this so. is the thing. This is this is you know, as in some people say that you know, oh, Fernandes goes missing in the big games, but. Is that fair on Fernandez? I'm not sure it is. Um, you know, when you look at how United have kind of approached those games, I think conservative would be the words that I use. Um, you know, I don't think they've gone full out defence, but as in, I don't think they've really gone for the jugular either. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And given the type of player that Fernandez is, you know, I don't think it's fair to say he goes missing. Because yeah, to be fair, the way United play against top six sides is completely different to how they play against every other team. Mm. But even if he went missing, I wouldn't care because, I mean, his expected goal involvement this season is 18 and a half goals. That's more than any other player in the Premier League. And mm. and he actually has gone beyond that. He's actually been involved as a goal or an assist in 20, well, 24 times this season, which is more than any other player. So mm. it's like, you know, as much as he could go missing in those big ones, mm. I don't really mind as long as he's smash out of the park against all the other teams it's like in a sense you can't rely on one player all the time but if you've got one player who can do it against the other 14 teams Mm. to make sure that we're always winning those it's like Mm. I don't mind it too much because those other six I I mean if anything I I quite like the idea of obviously it's better if you beat the top six teams because that's more points for you and you're clearly taking points away from them but drawing with them especially when you're the team that's further at the table, is good for you because it's like it just stops their momentum. I mean, you look at that Chelsea side, unbeaten in about seven or eight, going into that game where they had quite a few clean sheets as well. It was like, well, they're the informed team. United sort of meandering at the moment. Mm. Um, You know, some draws, some wins. They haven't lost, and I think that's the crucial thing. Constantly picking up the points, can't not no mojo i don't think about them i don't think they're going with any swagger but i think there's a little bit of grit about them to say yeah we are playing decent football and we're coming out with some okay mm. results you know as we're taking points off of the other team it's like it, it's more frustrating than, for them than anything i imagine mm. but um, I'm, I'm more than happy with how he's playing but then i guess on the other side is that not one of the things that was salah was criticized for um, for a little while, was that he didn't score against the bigger teams, despite being highest scorer in the league in his first season in history. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I see what you mean there. I think the difference and, there is that I, Salah's I, I would, role, I would just first say and foremost, well, I would is just a say, scorer. I, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. These aren't necessarily my opinions. I'm just no. you know, hearing what some things that I've heard. Um, yeah, but yeah. The thing is, though, that Salah is a goal scorer. I mean, I'm mm. sure he probably got a fair few assists in those times, but no one mentions it because mm. Salah, first and foremost, is uh, judged on his goal scoring ability. I mean, mm. he, he will score at any opportunity. Sometimes, sometimes not to the benefit of Liverpool's play. Sometimes mm. he should pass and he doesn't. But you know, mm. he's a strike. Well, I don't know if you call him a striker. He's a forward, so mm. he's meant to score. I mean, Fernandez. Obviously, he's towards the front end of the pitch. You'd kind of hope he'd get some more goals and assists. Mm. But 
I think the reputation around Salah came from the fact that I think it had been two, three, possibly even four seasons where he was getting that sort of, he couldn't score against United. So it was almost, not not hanging on him, but you know what I mean? It's always that itch you kind of got to scratch because until you have, it's mm. like people will start to notice it. But I mean, this is, yeah, Fernandez yeah. is only, I mean, it's probably only the third time he's played some of these teams because he's only signed yeah, less in than, the January, wasn't it? well, almost a year, well, probably about 14 months ago now. So, yeah. you know, he hasn't really had a bulk of time to score against a lot of these teams. But yeah, this season United haven't done much against the top six, mm. but they've stuck around in the games and they haven't lost them, which is mm. apart from, to be fair, they lost to Arsenal and they lost to Spurs. And the thing is, when we lost to Spurs, we lost big. And it's because we sort of went out there and tried to play some football and it really didn't work. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think I think you just went, well, if we don't lose the games, no one really looks bad on us. We just kind of yeah. want to keep it going. So yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see when slash if United get into the Champions League, um, how Fernandez does really because we we've only seen him against, um, because I guess the Champions League is a bit of a different animal, isn't it? So you can't really afford to be too conservative, and sometimes you have really got to go for the win. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he performs there. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I to be honest, I didn't see... I haven't got BT Sports, so I haven't watched them play in the Champions mm. League when they were in the group stage. But we did play Paris Saint-Germain and RB Leipzig, both two two decent Champions League sides, obviously PSG more than um, Leipzig. But mm. I, I didn't see how he played, so I don't really know how to rate him on them. But I get what you mean. Until you're in the Champions League, you don't, don't know how good they are. Consistently, but, I mean. As in, like... Yeah. Is it, well, you know, as in, I think it's more of a kind of... I guess because he's not been perhaps as prolific against the top six. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, there is that kind of oh well against the top six, duh, 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 you know. Whereas it, it, when he's in the Champions League and he's performing consistently, um, yeah, obviously it would help him to be in the Champions League at the very least. And being in the Europa is not great. <laughs> no, but I I don't know I. I don't think I rate any player less or more depending on if they play in the Champions League or how well mm. they play in it. Because I wouldn't say, for instance, De Bruyne has ever done particularly amazing in the Champions League. I mean, I know he's. I think he actually has got the most assists this season in the Champions League, so maybe I'm contradicting myself a little bit. <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't think I've ever looked at a De Bruyne appearance in a Champions League game and thinking, okay, he's done something really special. Yeah. Mm. Maybe against Real Madrid, I think when they beat them maybe a couple of two years ago or something, he was particularly good then. But mm. I mean, De Bruyne's reputation and class is completely built off of his performances in the Premier League as a mm. really dominant player. So I yeah, I don't think it tarnishes more... Fernandez mm. in any way not to be dominating the Champions League. No. no, I mean perhaps it's perception more than anything, because I think if you see you know, somebody have a dominating performance against, uh, you know, a, a, um, an opposition team member who is, you know, like a rival, I guess, or a, someone who you compare them to. I think if one mm. person dominates the other, that kind of gives you an idea of where they're at. Um, whereas, I guess, with Fernandez, because he's not having that at the moment, it's difficult to compare him to, you know, as in you, you can't. Because because United haven't done as well against the top six, people compare and say, oh, well, Fernandez goes missing. And because you haven't got the Champions League, he hasn't got that opportunity, I guess, then is probably the best word, to kind of put himself on the on the biggest stage and say, yeah, this is what I'm all about, against the best of the best, kind of. 
Um, but that's not taking anything away from him. You know, as in there are lots of, um, you know, you, if you really wanted to, you could probably take that argument with Luis Suarez at Liverpool. As in, he he never played for. I'm just trying to think. He never played. No, he never played for Liverpool in the Champions League, which is a weird thought. Um, mm. So I guess you don't. There's an argument that you. Know, um, would I don't think anybody looks. Defenses. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody looks at Harry Kane and thinks he's not very good. Even though he made a Champions League final, it's like I don't think yeah, he was the true. reason. I mean, it was Lucas Moura who got all three goals against Ajax, and yeah. you know, what I mean, other players have bailed him out in those situations. Um, and, and I think we mentioned it was it last week or the week before with Ronaldo. It's like he doesn't always perform yeah, on the biggest stage. Point, he just is consistently really good. I mean, Messi's mm. never won a World Cup, and it's like I don't think that ever tarnishes him either. Even you know what I mean? It's like you get these big players, and sometimes they. They have so few opportunities to do it on the big stage that nobody really, you know, that's not really where their reputation is built on. Obviously, the greats are probably built on it more so, in a sense. Um, the fact mm. that they do do it on those stages, but I mean, yeah. you look at a guy like Gareth Bale. It's like he he was amazing for Real Madrid in some of those Champions League finals. I think two of them, he was quite crucial on them winning it. I mean, yeah. you got the one where he scored that. Well, did he get two against Liverpool in that final, or was it just the one uh, overhead kick? No, he got the two. He got the got overhead two. kick and the one that was directly at Carrius, which he managed to parry <laughs> into his own net. <laughs> um, and then you had the Champions League final against Atletico, where, oh, of course, well, it was Sergio Ramos who got him back into the game with his header, but I think mm. it was then Bale who scored uh, the, second. The, yeah, the second in the extra time, which kind of put them on course to win in that game. So, mm. and, you know, I, Ronaldo hadn't hasn't done that, so... I do, but I don't think anybody looks at Ronaldo any less. No. So, uh, yeah. I, I think he's fine. I think Fernandez will be fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, right, we've got one little bit uh, left about the football, and then we'll move on to our highlight of the week. Um, yeah. Fulham. Yeah, they're unbeaten uh, in five. Yeah. It's not a bad... Uh, I didn't, yeah. not a bad start, Jack. Like, you could have had that for your start of the week. I could have. I found a better one I did, so okay, I'm happy to waste this one away already. But they're 18th, <laughs> unbeaten in five, three points off safety. Newcastle are kind of doing the opposite. They've only, well, they've lost three of the last five, and they've only mm. won one of them. Um, so Fulham, Fulham are doing what they need to get safety at the moment. They're not losing games. They're constantly picking up points. Although, have you seen their next run of fixtures? I'm guessing it's not very nice by the oh, way you're it's, talking. It's it's savage. Um, let me see if I can find it. I'm pretty sure it includes like United City and Liverpool. Oh, that's just <laughs> wrong. It's Tottenham, Liverpool, because... Man City. There you go. That's not nice. <laughs> well, to be fair, the last three games and they're over and done with, and then they've got Leeds, Villa, Wolves, Arsenal. Well, All I... winnable games. I mean, the thing is as well, as in like, I mean, City, they're probably not going to win. But as in... Spurs and Liverpool is probably about as good a chance as Fulham are going to have, right? Mm, At the moment, yeah. the way they're playing. I was saying that Spurs were actually really good on the weekend. Um, so, yeah, who knows? But yeah, as in, I mean, I guess the argument is is that you'd assume that if Fulham are going to lose those games, the teams around them are potentially going to drop points in those games. It's all about how they kind of face off against each other, ultimately, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Well, West Brom did a very good job of winning on the weekend. Cause if, I mean, I think Big Sam said he needs six points out of his next three to have a realistic chance of getting up, staying up. Yeah. And it, they've got three from the first one, which is good. And that was against Brighton, I think. Yeah, and yeah it was. 
that did you did you see the oh actually I was going to mention the free kick spoilers but, uh, yeah I won't do it then we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> move on to that in a bit <laughs> but um, yeah it's, it's a difficult one because I as much as I want to believe Big Sam will keep them up it's, it's very hard to believe they're going to stay up if they don't start winning games soon yeah I'm with you on that one mm. if they but don't I, win I, I, can't, I, can't remember, I can't remember why he mentioned these next three games. I imagine it because they're against the other teams around them. Yeah, they got Everton and Newcastle. And then Palace. Oh, so, well, if they win all of those, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Big Sam could do it. I, st- I still think West Brom are on their way down, I'll be honest. I don't yeah, think been quite it's too big a gap, isn't it? I, well, I don't think there's been enough of a turnaround. As in, like, okay, some things have... You know, like they got that result against Liverpool, and they, you know, they've had the odds, think you and there. But I think you, you kind of need almost like that boost, don't you? Of like a couple of results, you know, or even like a couple of draws and then a win. And whereas for West Brom, it's been like fits and starts a little bit, isn't it? As in they mm-hmm. kind of they get a decent result and then they lose two, and then they get maybe like a draw and then they lose another two, <laughs> which is not, it's not quite enough, I don't think. Um, yeah. So we'll see, though. I guess we will see. <clears throat> um, right, should we do our highlight of the week? Let's do that. Do you want to go first? Because I think mine kind of segues nicely into the next section. Uh, my highlight of the week was Tadej Pogacar winning the UAE Tour. Well, he was the guy who won the Tour de France on the last stage last year. and I Well, that was right at the end of the cycling season. And, I mean, obviously you've got to be pretty sensational to win the Tour de France. So it's never going to be just a a one-tour wonder where it's, yeah. you know, you don't see him again because mm. I don't think you could possibly do that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's he's won again. And this this UAE tour was the first big uh, race of the season because it was the first one which had all of the big teams in it and it was a multiple-day... I think it was a seven-day tour, so not as, yeah. as gruelling as a 21-day mm-hmm. tour. But, um, yeah, he went out there, he won it, and on he marches. On e marches, it's a pretty good highlight of the week. That, Thank um, you. right? My highlight of the week was uh, <laughs> Lewis Rizamit's face after that second try was awarded to Wales. Oh, yeah. um, instantly, as soon as he knocked it on, he saw he was gutted, and then it was yeah. just like, well, okay, oh, hello, <laughs> well, I'll have that then. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, oh. um, yeah, it was it was just box office, and from that we move on to rugby. Mm. Um, now you've put this first thing here, um, the first point. Now I've not seen this. <laughs> Clearly, um, I'm an aficionado when it comes to rugby, <laughs> but I I spotted it today on the BBC Sport that Cardiff Blues are being rebranded as Cardiff Rugby. That was yeah. any reason for that? What did they say? Uh, they did. Let me try and find it because I, I, I it's hardly it hardly big news. Um, Apparently. Um, well, it just seems a little bit random, to be honest, to me. I'm going to find out Welsh rugby. Yeah, here we yeah. go. It was, it's the only one, the only name which has survived since the inception of regional rugby 18 years ago. Okay. Which I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they're changing their name. I, to be, they're keeping the same badge and the same yeah, colours. Yeah. So they're just changing their name. Rugby. I mean, but, yeah. it seems like a waste of time and effort, to be honest. Um, I, yeah. I don't think anybody's gone out of their way to buy new or old merchandise for the either 
new feel or vintage feel of having the old one because mm. it's. I mean, the thing is, much, I think yeah. this is part of the problem with regional rugby, right? And I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. Is in like, for example, if you're someone who lives in Bridgend, which is where, you know, where we are both from, um, you know, you're kind of smack bang in the middle of, well, in between Cardiff and Swansea, right? Now, mm-hmm. in terms of rugby teams, I wouldn't associate myself with the Cardiff Blues because I'm not from Cardiff. On the other side of the spectrum, I wouldn't um, associate myself with the Ospreys because I'm not from Neath or Swansea. And that right there lies the problem with regional rugby because it, it, it you like kind of disassociate with which teams you support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel I've I've always felt quite strongly about that. Like I. I, I was I think it was much better when it was kind of just like you had the Bridgen Ravens and you had those sort of teams, you know? Um Well I was talking to someone who worked and he was I think he is he's not a Scarlets fan. Yeah. Oh is he a Scarlets fan? Mm. Um I can't remember who's the Scarlet's rivals? What is it the Ospreys? Right? There's wow. teams which dislike each other. I, the Scarlets have a particular one. I can't remember which one it is. But anyway, he said he was he was a, a supporter. Is it the Dragons don't exist anymore? Do they? No, the Dragons do. Oh, I, I can't remember what team it was, but he Warriors. said. No, nah, I don't think it was them. See, I could. I know that they've closed. I, I'm sure it was a different one or a team which moved somewhere else, for instance. Where he was like he was supporting one, and then they shake up the regions, and then you no longer had a team to support. So they had to support another one, and then they were looking to uh, to re. Because they were looking to introduce a northern, yeah. a North Wales yeah, team, yeah, yeah. Well, they, and they were, merge was, two of the others. Yes, there was. I think there was like rumours that they were going to merge. Um, oh, I, can't, I think it was the Blues and the Ospreys. So then you'd have kind of, you'd have Cardiff and uh, Swansea as one. Then you'd have. Slanetli is another. You'd have Newport as the other, and then you'd have the North Walian region. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's all just very messy. Very and, messy. And the only standing they have to have in a North Wales team is that the George North is from up there. I think it was George North, and, and they were yeah, like, yeah. Well, "That's like the most far-fetched thing." And it was like, "No one lives up there. If nobody lives up there, no one's going to go watch it first. You're not going to get much <laughs> uptake from it." But, no. but you look at it; it's like ninety-five percent of Wales's population lives in the south. No wonder mm. they've got all the teams in the south. It's like, well, you got to have the token one up there to satisfy them because there's I no mean, uptake for it. The thing is, as well, I don't know what the the popularity of rugby is in North Wales. Like, like for example, if you go to England, like, there are parts of England where it's, rugby union is just not really that followed. It's all about rugby mm. league. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know what the, the, the thing is like with North Wales, but... Yeah, but yeah, I guess that's interesting actually because you're right. Is in like, you know, the um, you before the um, um, I'm trying to think now. So you had you had <laughs> Neath Swansea Ospreys, you had the Llanelli Scarlets, you had the Newport Gwent Dragons, and then not that long ago they became just the Dragons, the Scarlets, mm-hmm. and the Ospreys. So yeah, the Blues were the only one that kind of have been the same kind of since the inception of uh, the regional rugby. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't really understand why they changed the name, but they have, and that's that's all I can bring to the table on that. In (laughs) summary, we still don't understand why they changed their name, but there we are. Um, Anyway, moving on from that, sticking with Welsh rugby, but we're talking about international rugby, Wales beat England. 
Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, but there was a bit of, of uh, you know, controversy. Um, so I think we'll just dive straight into uh, dive. Hang on, let me get my words up right now. Dive straight into it is what I was trying to say. Um, right, first try. Well, I say first try. First controversial try. Um, that was the so, first try, though, wasn't it? Sorry. It was the first try and the first try. Yeah, it was actually. Try. Now I yeah. think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the first try of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so England give away a penalty. I think it was Owen Farrell for not rolling away. Um, the referee speaks to Owen Farrell because they'd had multiple infringements by this point. So the ref says, "Captain, go and speak to your team. You need to, uh, you know, the, the discipline needs to improve. Go and have a word with your players." Um, so Owen Farrell off he off he trots to go and speak to his team. Gets everyone in a huddle. Um, meanwhile, you got Dan Bigger uh, saying to the referee, "Okay, ref, can you let me know when time's back on?" And then, like, smart literally... though, that is smart. Oh yeah, it's savvy. Very. That, that's savvy. the thing. It's it's as much as this is all going to go towards that it's unfair on what's happened to England. Wales as a team haven't done anything wrong. No, and we've just been smart enough to be. Hey, let's be switched on, your lads. Yes. We're already set up. Let's get going. But yeah, yeah carry I mean, on. You say yes, and then uh, you know. The ref kind of gives five seconds, and before England can kind of reorganise into a defensive shape, um, Wales have already kicked it to the corner. Josh Adams has leapt like a salmon and uh, scored a scored a fantastic try. Um, mm. But yeah, like like we said, Wales were Wales were alert to the situation. They didn't. It's not like they took advantage in a in an illegal way. The but the bottom line is is that the referee got it wrong. Um, and it was interesting, actually, because, you know, there's nothing... It's a tricky one, because by the laws of the game, the referee hasn't tactically done anything wrong. The referee no. doesn't have to give... Um, there's no rule... I think I'm right in saying this. So there's no rule that says the referee has to give a certain amount of time for the, the captain to talk to his players. No. But at the same but time, it probably doesn't need to be a rule. It's probably no, it's, one of those things they should moral, assume. Yeah. It's like a moral rule, as in like mm-hmm. it would it, it would be like saying you know, right? Um, oh, I, I don't even know how you describe it really. Is in it, it would be yeah. It's, it's just a case. Of, it's it's just not kosher. Mm-hmm. Um, Although I will say on the flip side, from the position where that ball was, mm-hmm. I think well. My assumption at that moment was Wales are going to go for the post. They're going to go for three points. Get on with it. And I wouldn't be surprised if that played a part in. They got everybody in and they weren't yeah, exactly ecstatic to get back out. And, I mean, even when it was happening, I was like, oh, he's not going for the post. He's going to kick it to the corner to try and get the quick try. Mm. And I, So I don't think it's entirely the referee's fault that the England players um, haven't spent. I mean, it, it was harsh how little time he gave them, but mm. it wasn't exactly as if everybody was alert straight away after. He looked I mean, for two or three seconds mm. and was like, they're not moving. I mean, you know, I think, I'm gonna go. I think <laughs> England were caught napping a little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit. But like, and, and um, they said this on the BBC commentary. Excuse me, they said it on the BBC commentary. I think it was um, Jeremy Guscott who said it. And he said... The referee has put himself in bother by saying, I gave you time, which clearly he, he didn't really. As in, Farrell jogged over to his team, probably said like a sentence, and then before he could even turn around, Josh Adams was already in the corner with the ball in his hands. So, Why? Well, I don't know if it was that soon. Because he, to be fair, Farrell got him all in, and to be fair, he probably only just turned around when it was blown. Mm. But the I feel like the conversation had finished. 
And he give he, the ref was looking at them in a sense, went sort of went two, three, and I went, yeah, okay, they're not, you know, mm. I've already blown the whistle to start. It's like go going then. It's yeah. like I think it was a bit of both. I think England definitely should have been a little bit more switched on, as you were saying. Yeah, I, I think. Napping. Well, as and I think I'd say it's kind of like ninety ten, in that yeah. like ten percent England probably maybe should have well probably maybe that's not that's not clear at all is it <laughs> they, they, they probably should have been maybe a little bit oh, i've said it again they should be a little bit more switched on mm-hmm. um but at the same time like and like i've heard this said by multiple kind of pundits and all that sort of thing that you know if that were wales as a welshman and that happened oh yeah that'd be fuming. Sure, you, you would be seething <laughs> you would be absolutely fuming so yeah, very, very controversial. And then, but also, you've got to remember, the only reason that they're in that situation where penalties. they have to have a huddle, yeah, is because you're giving away so many penalties. Don't give away the penalties. That sort of thing's not going to end up happening, is it? Stop no. stop fouling and you know playing a little bit on the edge. and Well, they were well, awful for the amount of penalties they got. Well, we'll, we'll get on to that now, because we, we've, I've, you know, we kind of listed it as three main points, mm. didn't we? So we had the first try as point A, the second try... Which we'll discuss, and then obviously the the penalty counts. But going back to the second try a minute. Um, so try number two. I mean, what what are your initial thoughts on this before I say anything? When it happened in the moment, well, not literally in the moment because that thing I thought, well, he's obviously knocked it on. But when it came back and they were showing the replay the first time and it hit him on the leg, I thought, well, I I'm not completely clued in on the rules of rugby but I thought it's hit him on the leg surely there's a little bit of a caveat in the rules you know it's like mm. he's kicked it on he hasn't he hasn't fumbled it surely he's kicked it in this situation mm. um, but I mean I think that's what the ref thought as well I mean mm. the rules are there and he followed the rules and it was a try he said the ref on field said try so mm. you know you've got to kind of go with it I, I'd much rather that than do what they end up doing in football where they're like oh you know, give no real justification and just go, yeah, okay, try. It's like, there was there was a thinking to it, but it did feel a little bit harsh. Mm. I mean, yeah, the thing is, it, there's so much, and I guess this is where we is you know, there are lots of things that is down to interpretation. Um, mm. There are some things where it's like quite clear clear as day, but there are a lot of things just down to how the referee interprets it. Um, you know, <laughs> it's really hard. It's really hard. I mean, personally, I think it's a knock-on um, because I think the intention, you know, is and he didn't intend to do that with his leg, did he? Is and he didn't intend to kick that ball. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm just trying to find the word for word, um, like what a knock-on is according to mm-hmm. World Rugby because I'd quite like to see um, what the actual definition of a knock-on is because from what I I am aware of it's like it's quite vague let's have a look to, to be fair though as right. well it's... when a player oh. loses possession of the ball and it go, goes forward or when a player hits the ball forward with the hand or arm or when the ball hits the hand or arm and goes forward and the ball touches the ground or another player before the original player can catch it. Yeah, that's a tough one because there's, there's yeah. nothing in there to do with kicking. This, this is and the thing. Is it when you look vague? at it, 
I don't know what the definition is of what is a kick because I doubt they even have it. But mm. when you look at it, it's like what he's done there in the ball has gone from his hand and and it is, you know, it may have hit another part of his body, but mm. it has gone from his hand. It has hit a part of his body, which is below the knee, which you could almost say is what you're usually going to kick with. Yeah, and the exactly. ball's gone forward. So you could in that situation go, oh, it's a failed drop kick. Or it's a yeah. it's a grubber. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. it's like for, if you just describe those things in motion, they go, "What's mm. a grubber kick?" or something mm. like that. You know what well, I mean? This, yeah. What happens? This is the but thing. when you looked at it and you go, "It's touched his hand," he's in no way controlling that ball, and no. it's just happened to touch exactly. his um, lower leg before hitting the ground. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that's a knock on. But I yeah, mean, there's... this is where it's like, well, do you does the referee use his own initiative or does he? go off of what the law says because at the end well, of the day lots of sports have rules which are beyond like pernickety yeah, and like teams get a little bit done over by it yeah, yeah like the nfl had this problem for a while where they said for a pass to be completed there has to be um two steps and a grounding and for for a while it was like players would quite clearly catch the ball land and then the ball might slip a little bit. But it's like they, they caught it and they went, oh, well, he didn't survive the grounding, so we're not going to give the, the pass. And lots of times you'd, you'd have um, touchdowns which were not given because of it. And it's like, that's complete, you know, it's complete nonsense how that isn't a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what they do, they change the rules. And I think that all that's going to happen out of this is they're going to change the rules and they're going to have to get some sort of verbal way of... They're going to have to exp- it, Yeah, they? and they're going to have to say... He has to have control of the ball before something like yeah, that. Yeah, or it'll have to say if he intends to kick the ball or something mm. like that. Because like, as in, it doesn't matter how you look at that. Lewis Rees-Samick clearly has not intended to drop that onto his lower calf in order mm. to kind of park, grub a kick it to his right, and then have it bounce off another player for Liam Williams to then run in and score. Because otherwise, um, all that'll happen is you'll have guys sort of purposely intercepting, tapping it forward and then just almost throwing their body to kick the ball to make sure they go, mm. wow, I haven't knocked it on, I've just kicked it. <laughs> and it's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and it's like, well, it's a grey area in the rules. If you haven't got black and white rules, this mm. sort of thing happens. And I think, yeah. to be honest, the first one I can understand England being upset by, but the second one, I don't think they can be upset with the referee as much as they can just be upset with the rules. And they go, yes. sometimes you've just got to take it. Well, yeah, and, and, and I think as in they could be upset with the referee because you could argue... Well, the referee's interpretation is weak, but mm. at the same time, it's like, well, at the end of the day, if you're relying on an individual's interpretation, then you are liable to having, you know, those sort of decisions made. Because at the end of the day, he is only, he is basically saying, right, this is how I see it, therefore, mm. this is what I think. So if you, if that, whereas if it's like, this is the rule, then he can go, right, that's the rule, that's what's happened, do they line up? No, right, then it's not a try. And it favours attacking rugby that this sort of thing went in that for in the favour of the team that was attacking. You'd much rather see it go this way than go the other, where it's like, oh, this game is really getting rubbish because no one can do anything because there's lots of rules hampering things from happening. So mm. like, I, I, I don't mind it too much. I think it's, it is what. It is. And to be fair, you look at the scoreline. We beat them by fourteen points. So despite those. Controversial tries. 16, 16 points, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. We beat them by more than the 14, which those points would have accumulated. So it's like, I understand obviously yeah. it changes the way the game's being played in a sense. One team might play a little bit differently if mm. the scores were tighter. But mm. I mean, 
Wales scored 40 points. If you're blaming the referee for losing when, you know, 26 of those are your fault. It's like, you know what I mean? They've genu- legitimately scored 26 mm. of those. And particularly as nine of them were towards the end of the game, mm. uh, which you're about to go on to with the penalties. It's like, well, mm. no, no, England can't just blame the referee. They were not very good that game. Well, I mean, I guess how you could summarise it is is that the first try and the second try were controversial, arguably poor refereeing, but at the same time, it's not like the referee is blatantly ignoring the rule. It's just that he's perhaps interpreted them poorly. Mm. Um, but ultimately, like you said, the gap at the end of the game, and again, you can't, um, you can't be as black and white and say. Oh well, we was the difference was sixteen points. Even sorry, the difference was sixteen points at the end. So if, even if you take those fourteen away, we still win by two. You know, like you said, there's the flow of the game and how how England are playing, their mentality, all that sort of stuff, which obviously you can't predict. But England didn't really do themselves any favors. As in, like with the hour mark left, they were level. As in, they were yeah. still in the game with twenty. And like in rugby, twenty minutes is a long time. You know, like, all it would take is for, well, as England showed, all it takes is three infringements, and that's that's over a try. In well, the issue points. is, those infringements were so obvious. Like, I'm not a rugby person. I watch the game, obviously, because I quite like watching the international mm. stuff. But, I mean, particularly the, not the final one, which we scored the penalty for, but the one mm. before that, where the guy blocked off I think it was Lewis Zamet as he was trying to catch the ball in the air mm, and it was yeah. so obvious it's, I, I saw yeah, it a mile off because obviously everybody gets annoyed when you see people blocking the runners when they go to compete for the ball but you can understand it if the guys already stood there but this guy was swerving exactly. back and forth like a taxi driver it was ridiculous well oh, yeah. I mean the thing is as well is, and I think Martin Johnson said this in the coverage I think he's right like you know again different referees will will have different interpretations and will referee the game in a different way. Now, mm-hmm. if you give away one one or two penalties, you know, for, for for certain things, as players then, you've got to look at it and go, right, well, that's how the referee's going to play the game. Either we've got to play a different way or we've got to hang back a bit, you know, and play slightly differently. Whereas mm-hmm. England, for whatever reason, just seemed to kind of persist. Yeah. Like, Itoje alone had gave away five penalties... Like one the referee in... was consistent throughout the entire game. He, he didn't. Well, apart, apart go... from maybe the try decisions where he was controversial. No, but but what what I mean is he he never went. Oh, okay, well that blocking, I'm gonna say that's yeah, okay. That, that one's and well, that, that one's, yes, yeah. Everything he was to the letter on, and he just kept staying, sticking, sticking. You know, he never he never started to go. Okay, I'm gonna get more and more lenient because I'm getting mm. influenced. He stuck to his guns and he kept doing it. And England just kept going. Yeah, okay, we'll just keep trying to break the rules. And he said, "Well, he's gonna keep well, catching like, you, then, isn't he?" If you if you think about it, is in like I'm sure we've said this before. Is in in rugby, like Sean Edwards when he was Welsh coach said that if you're giving away ten or more penalties in an international game, you don't deserve you don't deserve to win because it, mm. the discipline is not good enough. Toji gave away five alone. Like like one man gave away five penalties. Like if every member of that team gave away five, they'd be on seventy five penalties as a team. That's ridiculous. It's like there's yeah. no way that someone should give away five on their own. And the fact that they didn't even get yellow carded. I mean England can say that they're being sort of done by those two tries. And to be fair, the two tries are worth 
more than just 10 minutes of Simbin. But, mm. I mean, Itoje, he was on the end of the pitch at the end of that game. I was thinking he must have had a yellow surely for Well, it was game. weird because... Um, I don't know perhaps whether it was because of the areas of the pitch that were being played in, that when, before the first try, I mean, the reason that Gauze made Farrell go and speak to his team was because he said multiple infringements with, mm. you know, and, and the idea of that surely is, is he's basically saying, cut it out or someone's going to go. Mm. And then they r- repeatedly infringed multiple times after that and no one went. So I, I don't really understand what happened there, but... Like I said, maybe it's um. Maybe it was just because of the areas that the the uh, the infringements were committed in. He didn't think it was worthy of the yellow cards, and that would be fair enough, I guess. Um, but I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, Wales played well. I think personally, I think Wales did play well. Um, England were unlucky with both of the try decisions, I think, but. At the same time, England just didn't do themselves any favours with their disciplines. And with an hour, with twenty minutes left, the, the scores were level. Like, mm. and then by the end, there's a sixteen-point swing. You know, if That's it wasn't just... for the penalties, I genuinely thought England probably played a little bit better oh. than Wales. Sorry, I just but banged my desk there. So if anyone was sleeping, I hope you're awake. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. But, but yeah, I thought England actually played better than Wales on. In large, point, it yeah. was just—it was just the fact that they kept giving away penalties, which meant Wales could, I mean, as Sam Robertson said, gain fifty meters every single time you commit a penalty, mm. or they could go for the points, and it just—you know—Wales did score four tries, but I don't think, well, two of those tries probably shouldn't have happened. The one at mm. the end is sort of, you know, no one really—it was just a bonus point one, which you know, mm. good for Wales, but didn't match in the grand scheme. Wasn't a game decider, no. Yeah, and. It was kind of like Wales just consistently got lots of three points because England just consistently gave away penalties. If it wasn't for that, England were far more deadly um, Get within the final third. Like, well, this I is, mean, when they this got the ball, the they thing. were really good. This is the thing. Is it like When they scored that try at the end of the first half, I was watching it and I was like, this isn't good because we've basically mm. been gifted. Well, I say gifted. Yeah. As in we've been very, very fortunate. And like you still got to be in the situation to be gifted. Yes, exactly. And when the, I say yeah, gifted, point, yeah. it's not like it, it, it. You know, as in, we were very, very fortunate in how we got our fourteen points. And you were looking at it and going, England are like, I think it was seventeen fourteen at the time. I think we're England yeah. ahead. I think no, I don't ahead, think. You know? I don't think they got ahead. I don't think they got ahead because I remember Wales got ten points ahead, then they got right. level, then it was England right, that okay. got level. Yeah. So as in. I mean, and you can even look, and you went. Reese Zammett almost got a, a try, and if it wasn't for a particularly, you know, none of the, he kicked the ball twice. He did on, on running towards the goal, and mm. he just the bobble just never came back up to him, mm. and he just didn't, didn't end up getting the try. It's like, you know, England were lucky to get away with that one. It was hardly just England all the way through, but they did play the better rugby. Yeah, and, you know. at, at times they played very good rugby. So I guess mm. what I'm saying is, is in despite those controversial things, it's not like the game was gone from England, as in they were very much mm-hmm. in it, and then they kind of, in the last you know, quarter, kind of threw it all away, I guess, a little bit. So that's what we think. Oh, that's what I think. Um, perhaps if you're an Englishman and you disagree, why not put a comment down below? But don't be too offensive, um, <laughs> please. But, um, but as in, yeah, let, let us know what you think. Um, cool. Right, that's the uh, end of rugby chatter, I think, isn't it? Mm. Um, should we move on to a little bit of F1? Yeah, let's do that. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, 
Yeah, fun. Um, so yeah, we've had a couple more livery launches, haven't we, in the past? Uh, yeah. Well, the McLaren one was launched as we were recording the last run, wasn't it? And it was a little, little bit disappointing. It was. To be honest, though, someone made a good point. It's all about branding in the F1. Teams have iconic liveries in a sense, like mm. Ferrari. It's that red. Well, and you know the well. The thing is, the papaya orange is traditionally a McLaren color. Is it? See, I didn't know that. I wouldn't I'm have known sure that. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm sure the but that's like, the thing. Traditional... Zach Brown is trying to get that orange, the real oomph of what that car is. I mean, they they used to be the the silver arrows, didn't they? And that got taken by them because Mercedes re-entered the well uh, entered. Well, the, the, yeah, as in they weren't they weren't called they weren't the silver called arrows, them, yeah. but as in like they had the um, shiny silver with orange because like they were sponsored by Vodafone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. I don't mind it too much if I can see where the purpose of it is. I mean, mm. sure, it's a little bit unimaginative to pretty much do a carbon copy of the same design. There you um, go. Let me have a look. Um, McLaren's return to the team's traditional colour of papaya orange um, comes appropriately on the 50th anniversary of his original introduction. It was back in 1968 that the papaya first appeared on the works car. Oh, quickly wow. became associated with McLaren and it was associated with his successes in... F1, IndyCar, Formula 5000 and Formula 2. So, yeah. That's, ah, so that's it's predominantly they... not Formula 1 then that it's featuring on. Uh, it is more the other works. It's McLaren, doing, the though. brand, I guess. Yeah, okay. Is in all, all of the, the sports that they've raced in. Um, I see, I see. Generally, they've had the kind of papaya, um, the mm. papaya orange. Um, I yeah. do like that they're using complementary colours with the blue. Didn't have to do yeah. that. And I'm, I'm enjoying the blue and the orange. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's part of their. Um, it's part of this sponsor, I think, isn't it? It's, uh, mm. Is it Dell? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but well, I mean, the thing is, it's striking, if nothing else. But as in, I guess yeah, when I say it's a, it's a bit disappointing, I guess is because it's fairly similar to last season's car, I guess. Very um, similar in vain to the Red Bull. Well, I don't know. I th- I, I'm just putting it out there. I feel like there's Red Bull's car, like all that guy did at Red Bull. Was, take off the Honda. No, was the, like Photoshop Honda instead of Aston Martin. Yeah, like that's, that. That that was literally their job. Like that guy or woman, whoever it is, is is very much stealing a living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that car, that car has not changed. And the thing is, as well, like Red Bull have traditionally had very good like pre-season liveries. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why they don't go with them because they're immense. I, I've seen some boring. awesome concept ones for this Red Bull car. Like, I saw one where they moved the um, bull and the yellow sort of bit down to where it says Red Bull instead. So it's almost mm-hmm. like on the bottom half, and the top half just says the Red Bull. And I thought, just do something. Just do something, please. Yeah. I, I can understand why they haven't. Because, to be fair, if you're going to stick with something that's the same every year, it is a very nice-looking car, but there's so much you could do with it, and they've gone, mm. nah, nah, don't fancy it. And the thing is, as well, as in, like, I feel, in in a Formula One sense, I feel like liveries are a little bit underappreciated because for somebody who's not interested in, you know, or, or is just getting interested in Formula One, you know, they may look at the car and go, "I like that livery, therefore I'm going to support them." It may be as simple yeah. as that. Wow, why do you think pretty much half of the UK started to support Nigeria in the World Cup? Because the that awesome kit they had and the bucket hats and all that was immense. It looked yeah. so cool. It was like, this is so cool. And it, yeah. it's like, that's why people like that sort of stuff. It's yeah. like, well, when you just stick with the same thing every year, it's like, 
Meh. Do something. Well, and this is the thing. Is in like I get what you're saying about the the Ferrari liveries in like the red is iconic, isn't it? Is in like Ferrari mm. never. And apart, I think they had that one race last season, didn't they? Where it was their one thousand three, so they went with yeah. the kind of burgundy red because it, it, that that was their original color or something like that. But even Ferrari quite often fl- like change it up. Is it yeah, like they have a little bit of black, bits of white, there, bits of black? Yeah. yeah, they kind of mix. It, whereas Red Bull, like it's, it's the same car. It is. There's there's nothing different apart from the, the sponsor change. But, and that's only because Red Bull are no longer a sponsor. It's not yeah. like they've gone. Oh, we'll just change it up a bit. It's like, oh no, we've been forced into this change. So, is it like you'd assume that if Aston Martin was still like a lead sponsor of Red Bull, the car would be completely the same? Like it wouldn't have changed at all. Like mm-hmm. I, I guess there is kind of a if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But yeah, a little bit conservative, I guess. Um, what other cars? So we've had the Alfa Romeo I, and the Alfa Tauri, yeah. I think, haven't we? And to be fair, they. At first, I thought the Alpha Tauri was boring. But oh, mate. the more I've great. looked at it, the more I've thought, you know what, actually? That's actually a really nice looking and car. And do you know what I think is really cool with it as well? I don't know whether perhaps I hadn't clocked this before, but perhaps it's because the colours are bright. But like they've colour matched the wheels to the design of the car. And I don't know whether perhaps I've not missed that before. Perhaps because generally cars are maybe like, they go with like dark wheels that I've just not really clocked it. But because they've got the white wheels, yeah, it did like, look. It yeah. looks pretty cool. I think I'm. A, I'm a fan. And like the red, the red. This is, I guess it isn't really sporting talk much, is it? It's just kind of voicing our opinions. But hey, it's Formula One, so it counts. Um, <laughs> the red on the like the red Honda logo, kind of mixed in with the white and blue. I, I think it looks great. I'm. A, I'm a real fan. I think it's a big improvement on last year's livery. Personally. The thing is, I actually really liked last year's livery. I think I preferred last year's to this year's. If I'm oh, honest. Do you? I do. I okay. I don't know why. I think I prefer the white over the blue. Okay. I just think it has a little bit more zest to it, where it's like, mm. oh, the especially well, especially being as Alpha Tauri is um, a clothing company rather than because they they sort of they're not a different branch from Red Bull, but even though they're owned by the same guy, they are a clothing company. They're not a drinks company, so I think they've got to be really? fashionable with it. Yeah, they're a clothing company. I did not yeah. know that. They they changed it up. Literally, all they do is the. Formula One and clothes, so it's not it's not like the big clothes company, but yeah, that's that's they okay. thought well, it's another market opportunity. That. Why have two Red Bulls? Have a have something else, which is why they call it Tauri. Um, but yeah, I I I think I preferred last year's purely. I think I preferred more white than the blue. I think okay. it just looks a little bit more cool. I thought, but mm. I mean, I'll be honest though, Fair my enough. favorite car of the lot was the Alfa Romeo. As much as I do think I'd ever be a fan of Alfa Romeo because. Uh, they're not very competitive um but i think that car is lovely well i mean they've got good colors to work with haven't they is in red white and black is uh well, is there black on there, is there oh yeah to be yeah, fair yeah just a little bit just, the a, just a little bit along the bottom and obviously like they've got the black wheels they've got bits of black on the wing um, the thing is though with the sort of logo they have it looks very sort of King Arthur knights almost it's like it's a cross and a dragon it's like yeah well I mean I guess that's but they've made it look really cool badge, they? Mm. As, yeah as in I think there's always the potential that can look a little bit uh, that could look a little bit much but as in yeah they've, they've done a good job with it to be fair yeah. um, looks classy I mean I, I still think the Alpha Tauri is my favourite of the new ones we've seen oh, fair, um, enough, fair enough I'll be honest um, to be, I, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing the racing point because that's going to be a pretty different colour. Who's racing point? Oh, good point. Good point. 
Aston Martin. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you'll find the official name now is uh, Aston Martin Cognizant, isn't it? Is it actually? Yes. Oh, Aston yeah, Cognizant Martin, is on everything. But yeah. Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One team. Ow, I've just whacked my desk. Oh, again. of course, that Alpine. Yeah, Alpine. Alpine are changing. Yeah, so, so there'll be a couple of new colours. It'll be interesting to see what Mercedes have done because they've like shown a teaser, haven't they? Where it's like they have. It's like black going into silver. Yeah. Black I mean, they have the red on there anyway, don't they? Because they have the red because of um, I think it's because yeah, of Nicky Lauder. Oh yes, right. no, it is. It is in yeah, the You're right. Yeah, yeah, sorry, but they have like the they have the red um, Merck logo, don't they? For, in in memory of Nicky Lauder. But no, you're right. The main bit of red is because of Ineos. Um, and to be fair, the silver doesn't look half as cool as the black. That black no. looks so cool. So I'm not surprised they've gone. Well, we've got to go with the silver because we're silver arrows. But let's go majority black. And they've gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah this looks cool. There <laughs> we are. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the uh, the other liveries. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got another point here in relation to Formula One, which I've not seen. Well, this is because. Nothing reported it apart from Twitter, which isn't okay. really reliable. But it's it was from so people who basically about to say. <laughs> well, no, the people of Saudi Arabia were reporting this because it very much was sort of washed away. Nobody wants to talk about it. But there were ballistic missiles launched at the Formula E race in Duria, Saudi Arabia, this last weekend. No, none of the big ones were reporting on it, probably because they don't want to report on it. It's not very, you know. Keep it under. They probably, you know, it's not in their thing to report that. Is, but is it a bit hush hush? Yeah, very hush hush, <laughs> very hush hush. Um, but it's like people have been annoyed that Formula One. Well, I didn't realize Formula E. I don't know if they are the same entity or not. But they've been annoyed that they're sort of sports washing nations like Bahrain and now Saudi Arabia. And it's like, I'm not saying, oh, you know, you get what you deserve. They should fire ballistic missiles at it but it's it's like it's, it's no surprise that you get protests or stuff you know escalating when this sort of stuff happens like they are, it's very obvious that they are just getting paid huge amounts of money yeah, to put definitely. the sport there just to make the appearance of the country look good when yeah. some of their human rights stuff's awful so mm. yeah I, I, I don't know why Formula 1 has still got the race going on there if this is true I mean because none of the big ones reported, you don't know if it is true. But mm. if it is true, I mean, I if I was Formula One driver, I would not want to be racing at, at that weekend. No, it seems a little bit no, too it's touch and go. Little bit, um, little bit controversial, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a bit of a bit of a tricky one. I mean, the thing is, is like realistically, how many Formula One fans are you going to have at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix? Like. Yeah, I don't know. Perhaps I'm just speaking. Perhaps I'm just thinking from a European expense uh, perspective. Perhaps there are a lot of fans from Saudi Arabia. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Perhaps I'm being harsh. Um, well, every are. team in Formula One is uh, European based, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah. I think like at one point, like five of them were based in England alone. Um, yeah. So yeah. And I mean, I guess traditionally Formula One is a well, it's a European sport. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, Ferrari's Italian. They're the oldest team in there. Yeah. Most successful teams. Uh, well, when you think you've got you've got Ferrari Italian. Well, you, more broadly, you've got Ferrari European, Mercedes European, Red Bull European, Aston Martin European. 
you know, Alfa Romeo, European. Uh, Haas, Haas, American. Yeah. McLaren, yeah. European. Well, as I say, the Haas is probably the worst team as well. Apart <laughs> from yeah. Williams, but I mean, I think Williams is more because they haven't got any money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as in, yeah. There we are. Um, right, should we do our shock of the week? Yeah, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first because uh, I think your oh yeah your segues very nicely. Um, so my shock of the week, which we were gonna get, gonna mention earlier, but then I kind of said no, don't mention it because it's my shock of the week. Um, was the Brighton VAR chaos? Um, I watched this live, and no, I didn't, but I heard about I, it. I was like, what is going on? It it was bizarre, but I think the right thing happened at the end of it. So there's a free kick, Brighton are taking it. And the referees looked up, and I think he thinks in his head, I've given them enough time to get ready. Mm. And he blows his whistle to start. Mm. And then the Brighton guys went, you sure? Well, no, I think the Brighton players, before he blew his whistle, were like, can we go, can we go, can we go? You know, almost like we want to do a quick one. Um, and then the referees blown his whistle. And then when, he, when they've gone and struck the ball, he's instantly gone, hang on, no, I probably didn't give them enough time. So he's blown the whistle again before the ball's gone into the net. Now, the referee in that moment said at first, uh, no goal, no goal. It's just a, it's just unfair what I've done. And I think, obviously, Brighton were like, oh, this, is, this isn't fair, this isn't fair. You know, you blew the whistle, we played the ball. And the referee went, you make a good argument. I've been influenced by the players. Yeah, okay, I will give you the goal. So then they all run off to the halfway line. Then obviously the the Newcastle players was it Newcastle or was it West Brom? Uh, it was West Brom. It was West Brom, wasn't it? Yeah. Then the West Brom players went, whoa, whoa, whoa! You just let them influence you, and they were sort of arguing for a bit. And then VAR came on and said, "Hey, you know the second time you blew that whistle, you blew it before the ball went into the net. So regardless of what you want, whether you want to give them the goal because they have done a quick one, um, you blew the whistle before the ball went in. So we have to stop the play dead there." And the referee can't do anything at that situation. He's blown the ball dead before it's gone into the net. So then they go back and they say, we're going to have to take the free kick again. <laughs> and it's like, good gracious. Like, you oh, can and, see and what then, the... Just, just to top it all off, Brighton then take the free kick and miss. Yeah. I, just... Well, yeah. It was... <laughs> it would be, if they'd have scored, my goodness, I can't imagine what the reaction would have been. But um, yeah, they didn't score. But thing is, I can see what Lee Mason's thinking. He watched the... He, he, he saw him take the free kick and then instantly thought, I've not given them enough time. And in hindsight, he shouldn't have blown the whistle again because it's like, you've made a mistake, but you kind of just have to live with it at this stage. Mm. Like, you, you've you've blown the whistle to start. You can't then go, ah, oh, you know, they've been so clever that it's caught the other one out. And mm. you, were, you know, it is what it is. You, you were a part of it. The ball's gone in. But then, to be fair, because he blew the second whistle, he is stuck by the rules there and gone, I'm going to have to give it. As much as he didn't want chaos. to give the goal, absolute as much as, yeah. chaos. <laughs> as much as he didn't want to give the goal, and it's like, well, the rules are the rules, and it's gone in, so I have to give it. And then the, he went, well, actually, the rules are the rules. I blew the whistle before the ball went into the net, so the rules are the rules. We get to take this again. Um, so, oh man, yeah, very confusing scenario. But I think the right thing was done because, to be honest, I don't think he gave West Brom enough time in the situation. So, just just to clarify, it was goal. Disallow goal. Uh, goal, not a goal. Retake free kick, not a goal. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect sense. <laughs> that logic, though. 
<laughs> anyway, moving on. Your highlight of the week. Uh, sorry, shock of the week. My shock of the week was JJ Watt, literally minutes before this podcast started recording, signed with the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, uh, He's a very good defensive end from yeah. the Houston Texans. He's joining them for $31 million. Uh, I don't I don't know how many years that's over, but that's the same place the wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins got traded to from the Houston Texans. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's rekindling that sort of good times that him mm. them two had at the Texans. Um, who knows? Maybe. Well, actually, I was going to say maybe they try and trade for Deshaun Watson, but they in no way need Deshaun Watson. They've got Kyler Murray, and oh, may yeah. not be as good as him, but he's a very good quarterback. Yes, Although, good. who knows? Maybe they go, hey, we'll give you straight swap. Because it gives Texans a good quarterback, but also it gives the Cardinals an even better one, and it gives uh, Texans out, you know, a sort of an out from the awkward situation they're in. I was about to say, m- moving on from your your shock of the week, then am I am I right in saying that Deshaun Watson still wants out? He hundred percent wants out. He he said he's willing so, to sit out games this season so to make sure why, that he forces it. I mean, perhaps what you've just said there is a very smart move. Then okay, you know, perhaps uh, Kyler Murray's not. Mm. quite as good as Sean Watson but what's better having a player who's very, better on paper but isn't willing to play or a player who's slightly worse but will play the, th- um, the thing is at the end of the day the Texans have probably the second best quarterback in the NFL yeah. playing for them and yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. as much as he's unhappy and he wants to leave he is under contract for about another four years so yeah. they hold all the cards if he yeah. doesn't want to play he will get fined by the club and he won't get paid so there's no loss to them in just holding on to him and purging his career but yeah. at the end of the day there's no point in just being petty because money is no object in the nfl there's no, a salary cap and that sort I of mean, means all of the owners are never going to spend too much money yeah um, and i mean i guess the, the argument would be that if you kind of say right we're just going to fine him the hope is that eventually you'll go, oh, well, I want that money, therefore I'm going yeah. to play, right? But and, and a few he, players have done he, this in the past. But then is he is he really in that kind of mindset where he's going to be like, okay, I'll play for you, or is he literally just going to go, I really don't care. Mm. <laughs> I really don't care, I'm not playing. Um, a, a lot of guys have done this in the past. Le'Veon Bell, notably, sat out the entire season one year um, when he was on the Steelers uh, team because he, he wanted more money. The Steelers weren't willing to offer it to him, and he said, "And they, and to be fair though, he hadn't signed lots of contracts with them. They were franchise tagging him every single year. And what the franchise tag is, every team gets one franchise tag. Mm-hmm. And if you have a player who's out of contract and you haven't negotiated a deal with him, you can quote unquote franchise tag him. And what that okay. happens is you agree to pay him um, the average salary of the top five played players, sorry, paid players in that position." Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, depending on what position you are, sometimes it can be good or bad. Mm. Um, but in the case of Le'Veon Bell, he was a little bit fed up of it. I mean, it does increase year on year to make it less and less attractive if the player really doesn't want to play for them, in a sense. So, mm. so that the team eventually goes, we can't afford to play this anymore. Um, but he, he sat out the whole season, and then the next season he was allowed to leave. Mm. Um, last season, Melvin Gordon, the running back for who was on the Chargers, sorry, this is two years, not last year, two years ago, Melvin Gordon, the quarterback for no running back for the Chargers, he mm-hmm. sat out four games before deciding he'd play. Um, I think you can sit out all the way up to eight games in a season. Um, mm. If you if you go beyond eight, you can't then elect to play. From that point on, you can't play for the whole season. That's it. You're right. done. Um, but I think you can go up to eight uh, 
before you've decided if you're going to play uh, the rest of the season. Uh, mm. But once you've once you've um, said you're going to play, you have to play in a sense. So oh. it, it is an interesting situation with them. Um, mm. But the thing is, Deshaun Watson's that good that the sort of can they afford to? Well, I think the, Tex- the Texans kind of need to in, in some ways. As much as they want mm. to hold on to him, they've got no first-round picks for the next two years. Mm. They haven't got a second-round pick this year. Um, and they might not even have a second next year as well, actually, saying that. Mm. Um, but they, they've got nothing to rebuild, and they've got a quarterback taking up a lot of money. Some of the sort of mock trades that, that people are throwing out there, like, oh, what about this one, what about this one? They're mm. like, you know two previous first-round players and two first-round picks. He, he's basically mm. demanding... Well, Texans are demanding close to three to four first-round picks for this guy, which is mm. crazy. But, I mean, if someone said, I'll give you Kyler Murray and, yeah. say, a first-round pick, I think they'd go, yeah, I'll yeah. have that. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they maybe they want him that badly. But maybe. To be honest, though, Kyler Murray's good enough that you probably don't really need to be giving up anything. No, probably not. Probably not. Yeah, yeah and, and well, in other news for the NFL, I, mean, I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast, was that um, the NFL's moving to 17 games next year, or they want to move, and it's quite likely they will now. Now, uh, you say that, I, I don't remember discussing this, this is news to me. Well, I, I suggested, I said, oh, it's on the cards. Um, okay, I didn't say that, apologies. When they do their... Every 10 years, the NFL and the NFL Players Association um, agrees to a sort of set of terms for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it's quite a big moment because both sides will want something. Usually the the Players Association will want something like two bye weeks, so they get two rest weeks in a season. But obviously mm-hmm. that doesn't help the NFL because that means it's really hard to schedule yeah. games you've got more you know teams not playing more often and they want they want more action as often as possible but the nfl mm. on the other side obviously wants as many games as it can get i mean they got the increased playoff um yeah 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 thing which they introduced last year uh so there's seven teams from each conference rather than six yeah. and i think the players are actually quite on board with that one as much as it means it could be an extra game i think people well, like the idea of playing an extra game for the exactly. playoff game exactly but, but one of the other things they've introduced is the potential for a 17th game to the season rather than just 16. Um, mm. They didn't say how they were going to work it out, but they have now agreed on a formula for it, which is by far the most confusing formula to work out who you play in. And that's you know, saying a lot when yeah. you consider the format that the NFL use anyway. Yeah, where it's like rotating every season. Yeah. All that. It's yeah, like, yeah. That's already confusing. But the way it works, bear with me now, it's based off of it will be an AFC team against an NFC team every time. It's not, it's not just one. Every team will have seventeen a seventeenth game, and that one game for all of them will be against a team from the other conference. Mm-hmm. That that other team will be a team, which so you know they rotate every every year they'll rotate amongst the four conferences in a sense. Mm-hmm. So the AFC West, for instance, will play play the NFC South this year. Mm-hmm. Next year they'll play the NFC East. The year after they'll yep. play the NFC North, and the year after then they'll play the NFC West, and, and they'll just cycles. keep rotating around in those four. Mm. Now the way they work out this seventeenth game, it will be against whichever division you played two years ago. 
<laughs> so I think the idea there was they they don't like it where, for instance, Patrick Mahomes won't play Tom Brady now for four more years because that's when mm. the whole cycle will go round. So to get there's at least a little bit of a chance that they might play then in mm. two years' time. But not only well, because you're only picking one of those teams, there's four teams in that division, they're only picking one of them. Uh and the one they pick is whichever team finished with the same in the same position in their division as them last year. <laughs> so, for example, the Kansas City Chiefs finished first in the AFC West this year, last mm-hmm. year, sorry, and the Green Bay Packers finished first in the NFC North last year. Mm-hmm. The AFC West played the NFC North two years ago. Mm-hmm. So that is why it is, in a sense, those two divisions are going to go up against each other. Mm-hmm. The first from last year, so not the not the um, positional finishes from two years ago, but the positional finishes from last year uh, are what decides which team you were going to play from two years ago. And then it's literally first against first, second so against second. So basically what you're saying is it's, it's AFC West versus NFC North because that's what happened two years ago. Yeah. But it's first from last year in AFC West and yeah. first from last year in NFC North. So not the, so not the, the re- position, not the records from two years ago, but the records so from the last year. The position is based on the year just gone. The yeah. matchup is based on the conference that they played each other from two years ago. Yeah. Flipping hell. And the game it happened <laughs> is the year after all that. It's like what? Um, <laughs> oh, makes my no head. sense. My yeah. head. Why though? Like, like seriously though, right? At that point, surely it would make sense to just do. Right, let's just draw it out of a hat. Like, at that point, you've got so many things in there that it's like, well, well you do this from this year, in you a do way, this from this year, for next year. It's like, oh, gosh. In a way, what they've done, though, they've meant they've got it so the good teams are, have an even harder schedule. I think mm. that is always one of the things the NFL wants. They yeah. want it to be harder for the good teams to win as many games as they are, and they want it to be easier for the bad teams, who are going to mm. be matched up against the other bad team, to be able to win more to make it a lot mm. tighter. So it doesn't look so massive disparity in mm. um, finishing standings and all that. But then also you've now got an odd number of games, which means it's mm. a lot easier to work out playoff seeding because yeah, you don't get true. as many teams finishing with the same record. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you're playing more good teams in a sense. Yeah. Like th- this yeah, isn't yeah. just, you know, if they'd increased it to 20 games and said, oh, okay, you're going to just keep rotating and it'll be on a two-year basis and it'll keep swapping around in a sense between those four divisions. That would be chaos. That would be way too many games. They said, well, we'll just get you to play the first one over there mm. uh, and you to play the second one over there. So it's not all of them. And it, it just but means then... that when you play the good teams, you, you at least have the good... I mean, I think the reason they're pushing it through for this year is because you'll have Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. And you didn't get to have that two years ago because Mahomes was injured. So it gives you more opportunities to play. Like, but... effectively, you can play... Tom Brady every other year from now yeah, on for yeah, the yeah. rest of his career which is, then is good for him but then is there not the danger that whoever is it's the NFC East that's the dog isn't it like yeah the Giants so, but then like let's be real whoever's playing against but it's only the one more game that, but, yeah. yeah I guess I suppose it's that's one game out of and games. also if you look at it on the flip side though they were the they were the dog this year and to be but fair in two years time Exactly, they could be really good, but you want, in a sense, the cycles of how good an NFL team is good for 
can be a lot shorter than four years. So you sometimes don't get those epic matchups. I mean, when the Seahawks and the Patriots were both at the top, that was about five or six years ago now, mm. uh, where they both were. Um, I think that was the first year Wilson really was good. And I might, that might even have been his rookie year. But they had an epic game. And then it, it was another four years till you got another epic game between them. Yeah. And it's then Seahawks haven't been good since. It? It's surprising, like, yeah. is in how quickly, you know, like, when you think of how quickly sport can change, well, mm. it's just NFL can change, and when you think about how quickly, is in, like, four years ago, the Chiefs hadn't been to, the, like, a Super Bowl. No. And then well, in the last they, years, they'd, they'd won one, the they literally won the Super Bowl number four, and since then they hadn't made it for 50 years. Yeah, <laughs> and then they make it, yeah. And they hadn't won a playoff game and since until they beat the Colts. What was that? Two, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, three years ago. Wasn't up it? to that point, they hadn't won a home playoff game in, you know, it was close to twenty attempts yeah. or something. It was nuts how long it had been. Yeah, it's so, in four, four in the, in the four years. Like teams can go through almost a full cycle, can't they? Yeah, and, and that's the, the thing with the NFL. You've got lots of teams that are rebuilding, but uh, but they rebuild properly in a sense. They literally go mm. down to the ground yeah, yeah. to build back up. You see the Dolphins; they went mm. and almost got the first overall pick. And now this year, they almost made the playoffs. If it hadn't been for a really bad slip-up on the last game of the season, they would have been, like, number six seed or something like that, which is yeah, crazy yeah. to do just two years removed from almost being the worst team. Mm. Um, but, but when you got other sports like football, where it's like, you, you can't go into rebuilds, but you can just buy your way out of the rebuild as well. Mm. It's quite easy to do it. But in the NFL, it just doesn't work like that. It's, I mean, especially when you look at teams like the Texans, where... Your resources isn't money; it's draft no. picks, no. and you've no. only got seven of them every year, and only mm. one of them is really valuable. It's like it, it's such a hard sport to get really good at. Mm. But yeah, there we are. interesting concept. Mm. Interesting concept. There we are. Should we move on to our stats of the week to finish? Let's do that. Um, do you want to go? Shall I go first, or do you want to go first? You choose. I'll go first. Uh, yeah, you go first. You go first. Uh, Gareth Bale's double. Against Bernie was his first double in a game since September 2019, which surprised me. I heard it on the commentary and I was like, wow, Whoa. that's a really long time. Uh, I did, didn't realise that's almost two years now, which is quite surprising. That is for very a surprising. This I mean, to be fair, like, he didn't play for Real Madrid for I don't know how long because they just didn't play him. No, but um, the but thing still. is, though, very much you're playing such a poor league that you'd think you'd just come on and score two, but yeah, it's been that long. <laughs> fair enough. Um, my stat of the week is that Liverpool's second goal against Sheffield United was their 7,000th in the English top flight, becoming only the second team to reach that tally after Everton, who were on 7,108. That does surprise me because... Yeah, that, that, I thought that was a good stat as well. One of the Well, one of the most surprising things about that was that I know because I used to own a book which had every league table finish back mm-hmm. to, like... 1898 or something like that. It was, it was well over 100 years. Well, yeah, it was over 100 years. And I knew that, because I went back through them all, and I spotted that Arsenal had been in the top flight for the longest consecutive period of time. Mm. I, think, I think they may have just gone over 100 years without being relegated now. And I mm. thought, oh, I'd have thought Arsenal would have been the team to have scored, you know, 7,000 goals. And then I thought, what about Man United? They dominated for so many years. I thought, surely they'd have scored over 
over that many. But if it's Everton and Liverpool, that genuinely surprised me. But yeah, mm. okay. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I can't say I've counted all seven thousand of those goals, but um, <laughs> you know, I guess you'll just have to take my word for it based on where I found the stat from. Yeah. So um, there we are. Right, that uh, wraps up another episode of the Down to the Wire podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, as usual, we are on um, Anchor, uh, Pocket Cast, Spotify. If you're on, if you're listening on Spotify, why not give us a follow? We're also on YouTube. If you're listening on YouTube, why not subscribe? Perhaps leave a comment based on uh, what you think about some of the things we've said. If you strongly disagree or agree, we'd uh, we'd like to hear. I guess um, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. Um, have I have I done the checklist, Jack? You aced it. I aced it. There we are. Fantastic. And on that note, we shall speak to you next week. Thank you.